everybody. I have two beautiful uh, authors here with me today who are Amy and Holly. And uh, welcome to the show, both of you. And first of all, thank you so much for sending this book and a personal note for me. And I am actually cherishing this. Thank you so much. And uh, welcome to the show. And please tell us like why you wrote this book. What made you are like, is there any personal story that you wanted to write this book together? Whoever wants to go first. Wow. Well, I will. Um, thank you so much for having us. Um, my name is Holly Joy McElwain, and um, I was the person who started the idea of For She Who Grieves. Um, I found myself in the midst of just grief, just sinking in grief. Um, my husband and I had suffered a, a, a very sad and tragic loss of a, of a pregnancy. Um, I had just suffered the loss of my father. And um, we were preparing for the loss of my father-in-law and my husband was diagnosed with um, a disease that just changed our life. And I remember just like lying in bed. And the only thing I could do at that moment was think about for she who grieves and who else, what other grief women were carrying. And the people who carried me were Amy and a number of women that I had met in this network that had joined me on a journey um, for a nonprofit called the Brave Women Project. They had joined me in a journey of friendship. They had joined me in a journey of managing life and work and family and all of the responsibilities. And it was also in the midst of COVID. And so all of the resources that one might naturally draw themselves to were gone. And I was isolated in my bed eating cake, writing on my iPhone for She Who Grieves. And in walks Amy. <laughs> not physically, but figuratively. Not, not physically. <laughs> yeah, Holly, um, you know, this book, it's just one of those kind of, um, I think we're like divine inspiration, the timing, the serendipity of how everything worked out is just, it's still fascinating to me. Uh, but Holly, I, I wrote the book with Holly because Holly asked me to <laughs> write with her. And I happened to be going through my own personal transformation. Um, I had been experiencing grief for years and years and years and years. And um, during COVID, I uh, had the time, I got laid off and I had the time to do some really deep um, personal, you know, self-development, personal transformation type work. So I was kind of going through that at the same time that Holly was brewing in her bed eating cakes. <laughs> and so it just so happened that when she reached out um, and asked if I would like to partner in this book, um, it was just the perfect timing for me because I was, I was writing my own um, grief story, so to speak. I write and I have to get stuff out on paper and that's how I was processing and um, yeah, I shared that with Holly and Holly was like, write this book with me, please. And so I was like, yes. <laughs> and that's how the journey began. And it was a lovely journey, I have to say. Thank you for both of you for sharing that personal touch on why you started this journey on the book and everything. Amy, when you were mentioning, uh, you said like you were going through grief for years. Uh, I'm not sure how comfortable are you to share what your grieving story is or like whom you lost to have that years of grieving together. Mm. Yeah, well, um, without going into too much down and dirty detail, I lost myself. I really lost myself. And what I thought was um, fascinating about this whole project 
is that I hadn't really considered that what I was experiencing for so long, this, this kind of lengthy chronic suffering, I hadn't, I hadn't labeled it or I hadn't thought of it as grief really until I started, until I started working with Holly on this book. And it, it just dawned on me that that, that is what is, that is what I have been going through for this extended period of time due to loss of not just myself, but loss of um, a relationship, personal security, my home, um, a good amount of time with my children, um, friendships. So it was, uh, you know, personal safety, security, sanity. I lost my mind for a long period. And so I, I was grieving um, all those losses. And that's one thing that we learned very specifically is that grief is, you know, stems from loss. And it can be so many different kinds of loss that we can be grieving. And that was kind of an aha moment for us in, in writing this book. It's very interesting to hear both of you on a very different perspectives of grief. I can relate to many of the things that you are talking, actually. You wanted to say something, uh, Holly? I just, I loved that once Amy and I started digging into the book, we just found this endless litany of grief that people carry. And it was amazing to discover that everyone grieves and it's intensely personal, but it's also incredibly communal. And there was some amazing transformation coming from that. I was just going to add, um, and, and how many people are grieving in silence? That's what really amazes me. You're right. Because, I mean, I don't think most, I mean, I'm a, I'm a generally happy person. I'm an optimistic person. I'm a hopeful person. So most people, and I, you know, I function, I make the best out of life. So looking at me, people would never know, never believe what I had gone through, what I had experienced, what I was experiencing every day, that after I, you know, walked my kids to the bus stop, I'd come home and sit on my little saggy sofa and cry. Like my, even my closest friends, and I'm pretty open with people, but it's just so, it can be such a personal thing that you don't share for multiple reasons, so. That is so true when you say like it, it is, though we feel like we are talking to a lot of people or like we are close with people around, we can talk anything, but certain things, there is no way that we can actually put words to it and to explain it to somebody. Mm -hmm. So when you started together, uh, before you started together, you guys mentioning that uh, you started writing for yourself. Is that something like a journaling that you started doing or like what was the writing that you started? What's interesting is how Amy and I met in the first place. Um, I had just released my first book um, for She Who Leads, Practical Wisdom from a Woman Who Serves. And um, I released the book right before the pandemic started and everything shut down. So we had time for just a couple of parties and Amy was invited as a guest to one of those launch parties. And we immediately clicked. We immediately connected and we immediately knew that there was something there. So two things happened. One, Amy read my first book, determined for herself that I wasn't entirely crazy, thanks by the way, and got to really get a sense of who I was in this slow progression. I, on the other hand, got to observe Amy professionally 
and continue to really appreciate that we were in similar industries and we were thought leaders. And I just really was really drawn to her intellect and her facilitation skills. And so as we kept in touch, um, a, a nonprofit was formed called the Brave Women Project, which I mentioned earlier. And this um, nonprofit uh, became a reality. It was a dream of mine that became a reality at the very end of 2020. Amy was our very first paying member. And I love to say that over and over again, because she's been a supporter from the beginning. She now sits on the board as a really active leader in the organization. And we serve over 200 women. We've served over 200 women from the time we started until now. And these are professional women that feel the squeeze. And, you know, I just keep thinking about how odd it is that my name is Holly Joy. I wrote a book with Amy about grief and we came up with this like three sentence, um, a series of, of phrases that just like stick with us. And it, and we say it a lot to each other. We remind people of it. We put it in our social media. It's grief is complicated. We learned that right. Joy is simple. We experience that. And hope is the bridge and we reach for that. And so writing is just this, this vehicle that has existed and really bonded us. That was so beautiful to put like grief, joy and hope together. It could have been Amy for all I know, because of the way we wrote the book, we have no idea who wrote what. <laughs> so that's, It was really fascinating. I mean, it, that's what I mean too, about divine inspiration too, because we, we just kept like just light bulbs would just go off when we were together, it, whether it was a Zoom call or when we got together in person, we would meet halfway at a library and Holly had secured this private room and we would just sit there and one of us would ask a question. This book this book is based on a lot of questions we were asking ourselves and asking each other in the women's networking group, our friends, family, et cetera. So it's based on a lot of questions, but when we started thinking out loud and these, and, and, you know, Holly would be talking and I'd be like, wait, 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 we got to capture that. We'd start typing. And then she would, you know, ask me a question and I would start talking and she'd be sitting there listening, but typing at the same time. And it all just, when we'd read it at the end, we'd be like, wait, is this, did you write this? Cause this is really good. Like who wrote this? Like, and like <laughs> it was good. It was a really, it's just, and even sometimes we would be crying but then we'd end up laughing because we were just like, this experience is so crazy and so good. So while you're working together, there might be like a million questions that you asked each other early. There will be a few moments that stands out. So what is that one moment that you always feel like, this is why I started doing everything what I'm doing? I will say this, um, Amy helped me personally heal in ways that I didn't know I needed to, or I was ready to begin the healing process. And it was just through providing an opportunity for me to speak to grief in a very safe, non-judgmental, non-therapeutic way. Um, the moments that remind me why we put all this work into it, because we worked so hard to, to not only write the book, but to research it. We were very cautious about two things as we approached the book. One, we wanted to, from a historical perspective, a clinical perspective, we wanted to understand what we were talking about so that we presented it in a way that was as factual as possible, as well-researched and scientifically sound as possible. I know that's a lot to mention about grief, but there's a lot there that we talk about. 
And also um, we wanted to be careful not to re-traumatize someone who was experiencing grief. The second thing is we brought together stories of women who we had direct relationships with. Some of them share their stories with their name associated and some of them anonymously. And so we wanted to be very cautious in the writing of the book so that we could present the stories as intended with the outcomes of pointing to hope without revealing the identity of the speaker unless they wanted that. And so we worked really hard on those two things. Um, as a result, I was in a, um, the karate studio where my kids go and handed the book over to someone and share or someone else saw it. It just kind of floated one day. Not too long later, I receive um, a, a message on social media from someone who got their hands on the book and read it and reminded me of where they, where they heard about it and what it meant for their life. And we've had more than one of those kinds of stories get brought to us. It, it just makes it so worth it because this book really is that life preserver that brings people out of the depths of despair and into hope. And, and that I, I say, you know, besides my children, this is the most important thing I've ever done with my life. The, I'll just say the best things about this book and the writing of this book is that it, it comes from a place of love and respect and care. So Holly and I both have a lot of respect for each other. Um, we built a friendship um, in, a, in a really loving, caring way. And I think that um, also just both by profession, we are coaches, we help with leadership skill development, leading of oneself, leading of others. And so, you know, the book comes from, from the standpoint of sharing insight to educate and edify and help people move through something or move towards something. So there's that aspect of it. But I think that the, uh, that the energy from which this book was written really resonates in the way it's written. It's written very conversationally. It's candid. It's very real. Um, but it's also written in such a way that it's balanced out. Like there's very deep, 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 caring, tender moments. And then we intersperse it, not to like shock the system or anything, but we intersperse it with little, you know, funny quips or, you know, you know, animated stories or things like that. Um, beautiful poems, because it's all, the whole thing is, is grief is complicated, as Holly mentioned, and we all know this, but grief is, it's, it, there's it's so many emotions involved and there's so many ups and downs and it's so intricate and the story or the book is a combination of all these you know intricate pieces put together people's personal stories poems research etc so i don't know the whole thing I'm, I'm talking too much at this point but i just get so excited about it because it's so it's just so rich and i go back and i look at it now and i'm like wow man we 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 and it, it's almost like it came from this state of flow. So looking back, it's like, we put a lot of effort into this and I don't even realize how much effort because it didn't feel like effort. It just like came, it was great. It's like we're spending time with each other and yeah, you just put something together while you are going through your own process. 
Yeah. And just encouraging. And I'll say that too, Holly, I appreciate what you said about, you know, giving each other space to share really personal, um, vulnerable pieces of ourselves that we hadn't even shared with anyone else. Some of those pieces and the fact that it wasn't like, it wasn't supposed to be like, you know, we weren't playing therapist to each other. You know, we were just there to listen and just be really interested and curious. Um, and also we both, you know, believe that pain sucks and suffering sucks. And we were over it. We were like, let's figure out how to, how to get, get move with grief instead of keep fighting it. This is like part of life. So let's embrace it. What, what is the, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just thought about this. One of the things that was so paramount in our experience of the book becoming published and, and getting out there was the people who we would meet, who would buy a copy on the spot. Like the night that the book um, came out, we're, you know, watching the, we're, we're watching the Amazon numbers rise, waiting to get to number one. And when we get to number one, we're like, oh my gosh, our waiter at the restaurant buys a copy of the book from us right there. You know, and it's like, wow, it's like I needed to have this experience because I'm going through something and people will just share their grief with us. Then as soon as they hear about the book or touch the book, it's like, it opens up this wound. And you know what happens when you have a wound, you need to get some air on there. You need to get it cleaned out in order for it to truly heal. And that's what this book has done. It has been an antiseptic for, for so many wounds that have been long covered with dirt and grime and clothes and makeup and all the other things. It's, it's I just keep mm -hmm. thinking person after person, I can see their faces. One thing that you admire about each other and feel like, gosh, I should have been like that. I wish I should have that. What is that? thing that you like about each other how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> that's I have beautiful a list <laughs> pick the top one start from the top then okay I will say this this was so easy because I have literally such a list about Amy um I my one of the things that I appreciate about Amy the most is she has such a sense of humor about the joy and the pain and all the crap in between and the way that she says it and expresses it, it, it does break that, that, that seriousness and the pain because it's just, she's so honest and that, okay. So I got, I got five in there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? I appreciate that Holly laughs at my jokes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, Holly, I mean, that's the thing. Holly, Holly cracks me up all the time. I mean, that's why we had so much fun doing doing this book. Um, because our our wit is very similar um when it comes to just the realness and absurdities of of life. Uh so there's two other things I just off the top of my head. I mean, I can rattle off 50 million things, but one thing was um that one thing I admire is that. Holly was very proactive after we met. Um, I did not know Holly other than, you know, what I met at the book launch, what I met of her at the book launch, which I really liked, but I didn't realize, you know, I didn't know her as a coworker or anything like that in a professional sense, working together. And she was so proactive about reaching out. Like she actually, she had, you know, she was very, she, she kept with it. Like she said she was going to follow up and she would follow up. And she, and it wasn't, it never felt like it was a chore. She was always genuinely contacting me to see how I was doing, what I was up to, really genuinely interested and proactive. And I, I just, 
I think that kind of behavior, um, it just opens up so many opportunities and so much connection. Um, so I really, I've always appreciated that. And then um, also, uh, she's very eloquent. So Holly can, Holly can take any, like I'd say, you see, I talk in circles sometimes. I get very, I get myself all excited and then I go off on a tangent or whatever. And Holly's very like, like takes my little ball of like crazy string and she like stretches it out and smooths it out and like puts it together. And I'm like, yes, that's what I've been trying to say for the past five minutes. So she's, <laughs> she's great with that. <laughs> Usually people around in corporates or anywhere say like, yeah, women don't support other women a lot. And they kind of like fight with them or like all these sayings around the world. But you both working together, how do you actually feel to that kind of sayings? And what do you think that women can improve if they are having such thoughts? Find an Amy. <laughs> Find, um, that's, we need you know, more prototypes of Amy then. <laughs> Get more. Um, Digital printer. <laughs> I think one of the things that has really enabled our relationship, um, and it's not just the two of us, our relationship has spread to the women of our organization, the Brave Women Project. We made those expectations of relationships really clear. Um, we, we require the women that are part of our organization to operate with some things that are common knowledge, but not common practice, you know, confidentiality. We should, we should have a space of trust and a place where women who are very strong can be vulnerable without judgment and consequence. Um, that professionalism, do what you say that you're going to do, follow through with excellence, um, and, and genuine care and concern coupled with apology, if you miss something or are late or whatever it is. Um, I think ownership of my own flaws has allowed me to appreciate all of the things that Amy brings to the table. And we practice this in all of the relationships in our association. And it's created a, a strong network of powerful professional women who are busy lifting other women up rather than standing on their shoulders. Yeah, I think also what played a big part um, in the book and continues to play a big part in our lives is what Holly was alluding to with the Brave Women Project. One of the aspects of that group is um, come as you are uh, lunch, virtual lunch meetings. So um, those started during COVID and it was an opportunity for people to just literally come, you know, no makeup coming from the gym. They've got a cat on their shoulder or whatever. And like, people are just like, just need to need a break and to just be real. And everybody has a chance to speak about, um, there is some, there is some format to it about things that are important to the, to the organization, but it brought out, um, the realness in people. And a lot of the, stories and the information in the book came from those sessions with permission from the people who shared dif different things. Um, but I think having that opportunity to share in such a real and vulnerable way and make those connections where people were like, oh my gosh, I did not know you were dealing with that. Like, and, and did you know, like, this is what worked for me. Would this be helpful for you? Can I connect you with so-and-so or have you read this piece or do you just want us to listen? Or are you looking for advice? Like, what is it that you need? Um, that kind of platform, I think sets the stage for 
um, support as opposed to competition. Nobody in our group is competing. I mean, there's a lot of us who do the same exact work. The, our business is the same. And we are referring people to each other. We're helping each other network and telling other people about each other. We're promoting each other's services. We're working together, teaming up on things, expanding our businesses together. So it just, I mean, it's, it's just so much easier than being catty and backstabbing. And it's just so, that's just so silly. Like why, what is, where is that coming from? When you're talking about the real scenarios, I just wanted to go back to the real story why you started this post. If you are comfortable, you can explain it. If if not, I'll, I'll just leave that. You were, uh, Holly, you were mentioning that uh, you lost a pregnancy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Like whatever you have gone through, both of you, even I have lost uh, a pregnancy. Why I brought that question up is till today, I don't know how to deal with it, to be honest with you. I did not even read your book because I wanted to talk to you first before I even read the book. Because once I read the book, probably I might know what would be the next steps or like what it has to be. But yeah, without even knowing that, I, I just wanted to hear from your perspective, like how did you deal with it? I never even cried one time. I know that I have lost. I know that it is like a big thing. And I have lost uh, my child around five and a half months old pregnancy uh, for my uh physical abuse from my husband then yeah he's I mean I I loved him a while back but uh, yeah I was five and a half months old pregnancy and uh, he started beating me and I lost my child instead of me so that that's how bad it was so yeah how did you deal with that and yeah. then what would yeah, you well, say I, to anybody I'm so sorry for for your loss and the trauma associated with it um the loss of our child was also associated with trauma um from a physical attack and um the you know i i have i don't really talk about it in the book with the detail because just the, the nature of the book but i i am comfortable talking about it in this scenario because it created a compounding grief in my life um my father was dying on the the morning that i uh, went to my childhood home which i had been away from for many years and I was greeted by family member who was conceivably under the influence of drugs and um, had made some requests that I felt were not in the best interest of my mother who was grieving. And when I spoke up, I was physically attacked. And the result of the physical attack created a couple of dynamics that um, you know, I continue to carry with me and constantly work through um, a healing. And this was one of the things that Amy and I talked about many times that grief, the journey of grief is not getting over. It is getting, it is working through. And the phases of grief that we've talked about and, and, you know, our, our culture, um, those are even shifting. They're not, it's not like a step-by-step -step method. Sometimes we'll experience one thing and then slide into a different space and, um, you know, the result of what happened on the day my father died was I lost my father, I lost my child, and I lost my family of origin because there was no one there who was willing to acknowledge the severity of what was happening. And, you know, just yesterday was um, uh, the birthday of someone who was very closely involved in what happened. 
And I said to my, my husband, I said, you know, I feel almost like I'm re-traumatized. And every time that I have to speak the name of the person who attacked me, every time I think about my family of origin, every time I consider my dad's passing, there's so much there. Not only that, but I have a child that I, I didn't get to meet. And that child was a symbol of, of the love that was growing in my home at that time. And so we talk about compounding grief. It's, you know, I'm a motherless child essentially because I have no family of origin anymore. It's caused me to have strict boundaries with my own mother. And there's a healing process that I think is different for everyone. For me, I had to create very clear boundaries so that I could heal from the trauma. Second, I had to honor the losses and get real about those losses because it wasn't just one loss. It was a loss of a dream for a child. It was a loss of my father, the first man who ever loved me, whom I ever loved. And right on the tail of it, my husband was diagnosed with a disease that changed our future. So in a very short period of time, I lost my child, my father, and my husband in the way that I knew him. It's impossible to separate any of that grief because my mother was part of that then, you know, my family of origin, my identity as a woman, like so many things got wrapped up. And of course, this isn't all written in the book, but there's many stories like that from the women who have had experiences and our grief kind of tied together. Um, I will say that my work of healing will probably always continue until the day that I get to heaven because every loss that we experience becomes part of who we are. And we have a choice on how we live that. Do we live our loss from a place of trauma, grief, sadness, anger, pain, confusion, misery, all of it, fill in the blank, or are we living our loss and our grief and living hope? And I feel like some days it's easier to live hope and some days it's harder. And then you were mentioning that in one word, you just summed it up saying you lost yourself. Mm. And pretty much sometimes even I find myself like that because you, you won't feel to do anything. You don't want to like talk to anybody. You know that something is drowning you inside. Um, it is heavy in, in your heart. That could be a number of reasons. It doesn't have to be like a specific reason. It, it, it can be anything. You will lost everything from your mind. You don't see hope. You don't feel like moving forward at all. So what was your experience and why, why are like how it is affecting you at that time? Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play on, just latch on to one of the things you just said about the, your, the heaviness of your heart. Uh, well, two things. One, one thing for me is, is that I actually, I think what was so difficult for me was that I actually had hope throughout my whole journey, but I just kept getting what I would what I would tell people is I just got, it's like I'm crawling up a hill and I'm almost to the top. And then someone kicks me in the mouth, like kicks me in the teeth. And I go back down like five steps further than what, than the, you know, three that I just climbed. And that I felt like that was just when I was getting my life together or just when I was like, thought I had it figured out something, another horrible thing would happen that would just like send me back down again. And I was, that's why I, some point I, I share that I just like, I was, I just, I was so done. I was so burnt out. I was so over it. I was pissed off. I was tired of not having success. And I just, I just couldn't, 
I couldn't take it anymore. So fortunately, what ended up happening um, for me was realizing, um, you know, Holly pointed out, I'm, I'm, I'm intellectual. I like to learn. I'm, I'm love edification. And so I had studied a lot about my situation. I'd studied a lot about how I could, you know, treat my situation, et cetera. And what I, what I didn't realize is the reason why that wasn't always working is because I was trying to treat a, a very emotional experience rationally. And um, deep down, I knew that I needed to share my story. I knew from the very beginning that it was going to rot inside me if I couldn't share it. But for various reasons, I I don't publicize it because it's still it impacts other people around me. Um, and I'm still, you know, I still have people to protect, including myself. So um what I what I will say is that when I started treating my um situation, I'll just call it as an emotional one. And I started addressing it with therapies that were not only sharing my story with a, you know, specific different therapists, but different quantum science type healing to get at things that were locked up in my limbic system for a really long time. And, you know, you'll hear this in the book too, because there's other people who have experienced, you know, that sounds all woo woo and we get all nervous about sharing this with people because people think that like, oh, that's just weird. And you feel like you lose credibility when you tell people that you um, did something that is not traditional. But um, feeling to heal is, is another theme that's in the book that was very helpful. Um, and I don't mean that if you dip, didn't cry, like you said, Smitha, that, that you didn't cry. I'm not saying that that's, you know, a bad thing. Everyone feels and heals in a different way. Okay. But yeah, for, for me, um, sharing my story and connecting with people in a very safe environment, but also using therapies like the eye, rapid eye movement, desensitization, I always get the letters mixed up, um, and then different forms of quantum healing to release emotional energy, a lot of um, visioning exercises, um, relaxation techniques, tapping, um, things that were really getting into my nervous system and releasing that kind of energy was incredibly helpful for me from a feeling perspective. Though I told you that I did not read the book, but I just gone through the chapter um, titles that you gave. One of the chapter titles, I don't want to go through the entire uh, thing. One title really caught my attention and really wanted to ask you uh, is the chapter, second chapter. The title is Never Enough Time to Say Goodbye, which is so true. So what is what is that to you? Gosh, I mean... The, the title alone is, uh, it's gut-wrenching. Um, this, this year, uh, one of my close friends uh, passed away. And it, I went back to the book and referred to it because actually it was at Christmas of last year. So it was last year. It was right after the book had come out. Um, he called me a couple times. Uh, he and I had had a bit of a falling out. And so I just kind of cooled it on the relationship. This is a theme. If you're catching on to me, this is a theme. Um, in the introduction of the book, I talk about Sarah, my best friend from college. This was a theme, okay? 
instead of engaging in the fight and duking it out, I cool it. When Sarah passed, we had been on a cool it. She was pregnant. She was five months pregnant with her fifth child and was swarmed by bees and died instantly. I didn't get to say goodbye. There's never enough time. My friend, I knew he had cancer and we just kept playing phone tag. We couldn't catch up with each other. And I figured the end was coming. And that's why he kept trying to call me. Left messages, never got to actually connect. I didn't get to say goodbye to him. There was never enough time to say goodbye. My dad for 12 years had been bedridden. We lost most of his ability to speak and communicate because of his stroke. What I realized, it doesn't matter. My child, you know, it doesn't matter the cause of death. It doesn't matter the cause of, of separation. We never have enough time. Cool. And I think about so often, especially since my MO is let's cool it, let cooler minds prevail. Let's have a boundary. I constantly have to check myself on, is this boundary for health and protection or is it a weapon? How am I using a boundary? And am I going to, if this person dies tomorrow, if this person leaves my life tomorrow, have I given the relationship the dignity that it deserves so that there is not another time, another person who moves on that I haven't had the ability to convey in an appropriate way closure. And so boundaries are really important. Not everyone gets to be in your life, but I carry Sarah and Tony with me constantly because there was never enough time to say goodbye. And when we lose someone or something, we want that time. We want that time. And so I'm, it makes my decisions about work different. You know, you can see something crawling in my background, a little child. I make decisions so that I never have to live with the regrets because there is never enough time. How, how do you say that, Emmy? What, what does that title mean to you? Oh, well, two things. <laughs> they don't sound like they go hand in hand, but um, with never enough time to say goodbye, I think of, you know, the sudden loss, right? The sudden, sudden deaths, that sort of thing. Um, and when I think of that, I think of trauma. And I think, I mean, until I started researching this book, I didn't realize how much grief and trauma go hand in hand. I mean, usually like there's whole separate books on trauma and there's whole separate books on grief, right? But grief and trauma are very, very, very closely related. I mean, usually if you're grieving something, something traumatic has happened. So to um, study the effects of trauma, again, this is the, the rational intellectual Amy coming out, but the, the effects of trauma, even but on a biological level and on an emotional level, on a scientific level, it's really important to understand the effects of trauma. It helps you understand grief a lot better. So there's, there's, a, there's a whole chapter on trauma in the, in the book as well. So that's one thing I think of. The other thing I think of with never enough time to say goodbye is the idea of really being present with people when you have them. 
And when you have that time with them, whether it's a phone conversation, a face-to-face conversation, whatever it is, making that time really count in a way that, um, and we're not, never, no one's ever really perfect about it. It's hard. You have to keep reminding yourself to be present sometimes for, for various reasons, but to really try to focus on that and making that time count with the other person, really listening, really listening and responding from a place of care, consideration, respect for them sharing whatever they're sharing with you makes that time well spent. So if something does happen and you do suddenly lose that person, at least you have that, like at least you have that precious and you're not, you don't have the regret of like, you know, I wasn't even paying attention or, you know, whatever, just, just making, making each minute count when you can is important. You both spoke about your nonprofit. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I caught the name correct. A Brave Woman Project. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So, what is that? What is their arg is all about, and how do you actually help women? So, um, uh, a Brave Women Project. Our website is bwp.life because we really are um, available for the life cycle of a woman. Um, we focus on professional women, recognizing that. Um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we saw the staggering number rise, rise, rise. One in four women were leaving the workforce to assume a caregiver role in their community or their home. And we were experiencing the, the stress of doing it all, caring for everyone, being present and continuing to fight for our space in, in a professional landscape where we were taken seriously. And so we serve women in um, a couple of ways. One, through the professional resources and development. We have coaching, we have professional development. We have that come as you are support group, which is confidential and phenomenal and life-changing. But we also know that women are drawn to be the caretakers and caregivers in their community. So we have um, an outreach and engagement pillar that causes us to be deeply engaged in advocacy work within our, our sphere of influence. So many of our members are also um, involved in nonprofit work that does direct care and healthcare or other places. Um, we also know that we are not able to really take care of other people if we're not taking care of ourselves. So we have another component that is focused on wellness through positive psychology, positive wellness coaching, at-home workouts that you can do in your office or your desk, or if you have a child like this crawling around behind you. We have these resources. We also have a forum for members only where they can um, talk about different things as, as it relates. Mentorship is baked into who we are. So we have women at all cycles of their professional life. We've got early career and college students, graduate students, PhD candidates, law school students, all the way up through very, very seriously supported, uh, supportive women who are shareholders and C-suite level. And the relationships come together where you have people who know something that you can learn. And we offer the philosophy that everyone has something to learn. Everyone has something to teach. And, um, and so we, we start with the network and then we build out in the community. And we're in about eight different states right now. Our hub is Pittsburgh, where we are. And um, we look for every opportunity to celebrate professional women and, and really acknowledge what they're doing in the community. Anything to add, Aim? Yeah, I do have something to add because um, with the professional development piece, I mean, I talked about the come as you are portion of Brave Women Project. 
but with the professional development piece, um, a lot of the, the speakers who came and shared their knowledge, their story, their experience, um, they weren't, number one, they weren't paid. So these are people who are women who are volunteering their time to help other women however they can, sharing insights, sharing tips, life hacks, et cetera. So there's that. So encouraging each other to grow in a very supportive way. Also, though, they weren't invited to speak because they had a grief story. We weren't even talking about grief in any of these discussions. I don't even think the word grief ever even came up in professional development or in the come as you are sessions. However, in with these speakers who were coming, they had these stories of, you know, significant loss, hardship. You know, they were entrepreneurs where, you know, their business had failed or, you know, a partner had died or committed, you know, died by suicide. So different, these different traumatic experiences where um, they figured out what to do next <laughs> and how to work with that um, was very relevant to their professional success and their, their professional story, their professional achievements, their professional experience. I mean, it's all, it's just all part of life and we can grow stronger and wiser through like the worst crappiest times in our life. And that's kind of, that's what the, that's the other part of the book is practical wisdom for living hope is different things work for different people at different times. And so it's not like there is, unfortunately, it's, there's not one cure-all. There's not one, you know, step-by-step -step process that we like promote in the book. There's not one, you know, cure to all your ills. It's, it's a series of different choices that people made that will, that resonate with different people at different times based on their experience with grief. You both uh, came together on a different topic for, with grief and your nonprofit is entirely different. How does the seed between you grow to that kind of a nonprofit? Well, I will say this. Um, everyone experiences grief differently. Yes. And responds to grief differently. Everyone experiences support differently and responds to support differently. The thing that bonds us together is the fact that as women, we're expected to perform all these roles with perfection. And that's just fiction. So Amy and I decided we're putting together a good nonfiction book that will make you laugh, help you cry, and feel like you have been supported by your best friend in the ways that you needed it. And every time that we are together with the women of the Brave Women Project, we have that space. We laugh, we cry, we are supported in the ways we needed it. We support in the way that is natural and makes sense for us. And we together are so much better than if we're all just trying to do it alone. I think the other thing too, that strings it all together is, is courage, um, you know, brave, bravery, courage. Um, and, and what I mean by that is making choices, um, taking the step, making a choice, you know, we talk in the book about how you can't always choose your environment. You can't always choose what you've been handed or given or been born with, et cetera. However, we always have a choice to do or not do something. And I think that um, 
I mean, Holly, you alluded to this as well, that the, what are you going to do? Like how, what, what choice are you going to make? Are you going to, are you going to make a choice to stay stuck? Or are you going to make a choice to do something, take some step, do some one thing differently to help you get unstuck and move in a different direction? So I think courage by just like making that choice is, is really important. It's about working with your fear because everyone's got things that they're, you know, fearing or like that are that are hard but um supporting each other in our choices is what the book is about and what brave women project is about we say just do one brave thing every day that's our that's our motto for brave women project do one brave thing every day for some people it's picking up the book amy you were mentioning um you should have had the courage before or something. What is that one thing that you felt like you should have known earlier to have a better life than now? Um, yeah, not so much a should have. I It was a wish I. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had the realization earlier about, um, about rationale and logic does not apply to everything. Not everything makes sense. Not everything is supposed to make sense. We're so conditioned, right? That there's an answer to everything, that there's a scientifically based reason for, you know, somebody somewhere knows the answer to this situation. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Like sometimes things, you know, logic doesn't apply to everything. Emotions apply to everything. Emotions are part of everything. So I just, you know, honestly, what what was was interesting, one of the best things that happened to me in my hellish state was I was I was reacting to something. I was with a friend and I was reacting to a situation where I was feeling violated. Um, and it was it had to do with it was paperwork. So it's not even like it was a physically violent situation, but I was feeling controlled, violated, et cetera. And I was having this reaction and this friend said to me, you know, you're, you are exhibiting signs of PTSD, like, you know, cause he had been through his own trauma, et cetera. And I was like, I didn't really even know what he meant, but he had, he had said to me that when he started thinking of his own situation, his own trauma and what he was carrying with him as PTSD and treating it as that, which is more of an emotional, psychological experience, um, that that made all the difference in the world to him. And he gave, you know, he had made some suggestions uh, for where I might want to consider turning for help. And I was like, yeah, I kind of blew him off. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm in control of my emotions. <laughs> cool. But um, but you know, different things led me down to a to a different to a to a path along those lines. And it just, like I said, it just made a difference to think of your situation as it's an emotional situation. So don't get stuck ruminating and thinking and thinking and trying to think your way out of your pain and your suffering, because sometimes that's not the answer. You both are coaches, I understand, correct? Yes. Yes. 
then why start a nonprofit? I couldn't not. It, it, it had to happen. It was just brewing inside of me. And I looked around again at the pandemic and I said, here are all the things that I need. I can't find them in one place with the people I trust. So I started asking friends, Hey, do you think this idea is crazy enough that you want to join me? And they said, yes. So we have an exercise physiologist that builds workouts for us every month for any skill level and, and gently and lovingly and comically records them for us and sends, and we, you know, they're accessed from members. Um, we have a, a corporate wellness professional who builds out our newsletter and does the positive psychology coaching. We have all these super powerhouse women that come together and think tank the board of our board of directors is absolutely outstanding. I can't believe I get to stand next to these women. Um, I knew that if I didn't do this, then I wasn't contributing something I was meant to contribute. And the fact that I had these women stand next to me and say, okay, let's do it. I mean, I'm just, I'm humbled every day that I get to be part of this group of powerhouses. Plus I have a day job that keeps me really busy. So coaching is, um, coaching's baked into everything that I do. And it is a gift that I just have to give. Um, Amy's the one who makes the, you know, makes the money make doing it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, yeah. So I'm a business coach on the, on the side and a leadership coach. Um, but what I, what I love about the nonprofit too, is that it's just, I mean, everybody's just donating their time because we all give a shit about other people and helping other people do better and bigger things and helping people be smarter and brighter and better. And it's, we enjoy that. We get our own personal selfish satisfaction out of seeing other people get lit up. And we're motivated by that. So it's 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 something that we all enjoy um, doing. So yeah, I just think it was a natural a natural fit. And Holly gave us the platform to all get to come together and do our thing. Holly, you mentioned uh, if you haven't started this, you were not doing what you were meant to do. So what do you think your purpose in life is? I'm a lift other people up person. I mean, that's my purpose in life is get down low so they can get on my shoulders and go where they need to go. Um, I, when I'm not at this desk, I'm on the floor with my kids. Like I, I have been made to be the person that, that lifts other people up. And I'm so glad that that is the life that I have because I work really hard at setting it up, whether I'm at my company Wolf um, or winter partners, I'm with BWP or I'm sitting with a friend or I'm on the floor with my kids having a conversation about the thing they experienced today. And what are you going to do with it tomorrow? Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm made for, for that. And, and I don't think BWP is the last thing I create. I think there, you know, there's always something brewing around the bend that I am listening for. And if I'm called to do it, it doesn't shut up. It go, it keeps call. I get the call keeps coming and it doesn't stop until I take the action and make that the best that I can. And it's very seldom me alone. It is almost always together with other people that I get to lift up as we do it, which is, it, it is amazing. Hmm. That's I'm adding that to my list. It was on my list, but I, I have to say, I like the way you worded that lifting other people up. Holly is like the best um, 
yeah, just the best person to give people opportunity to encourage and not just to like encourage verbally, but she actually makes stuff happen. Like she just makes stuff happen. She just does it. It's awesome. I love it. Um, so I love that that's your purpose, Holly, because you're really good at it. That's lift. If yours is lifting people up, mine's lighting people up. I think that's my purpose. My purpose is, is, is to, is to, whether it's with, um, insight, ideas, improvements. I mean, my, the name of my business is AHA. It's Amy Hooper, Hannah and Associates. So it's AHA. So it's sparking ideas, insights, improvements. Um, so an impact. So making an impact. Um, yeah. So that's what I, I enjoy it. Lighting other people up lights me up. A lot of people don't understand what their worth is. How do you say that one can understand their self-worth? I think the secret to that is understanding the unique contribution that you make. Um, I have a philosophy that that each person is an unrepeatable gift. And if the the if what they are bringing to the table is louder than what they are saying, then my job is to help them refine their message so that everyone has an opportunity to take, to receive that unrepeatable gift that they are. And when you know what your gift is, your value is right there. That's a real, I really like that question. That's a really interesting question. How do you wait, say it again. How do you know your self-worth? Yep. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so I think with that one, boy, there's a lot of ways to to get at your self-worth. But I think a lot of times it's um, you know, we're all connected, right? So we we understand ourselves better when we are seeing the reactions other people have around us, um, the impact that we're having, how we um influence other people's behavior with our choices, things like that. Um, so connecting by connecting with other people in a, I think it has to come from, I, I think what we dismiss too often is the whole, I'll go back to the emotional part, the feeling part and, and intuitively what feels right. I think we've gotten all of us each individually have gotten further away from our own intuitive, natural, um, understanding of things whether that's our own self-worth, who we are, what our authenticity is, even just in relation to ourselves, let alone other people, we've gotten so far away from that. And, you know, we get further and further away from that as we get older. Um, but to rediscover that, I think is, is really, really important. Like, what does it mean to go with your gut? What does it mean to listen to your heart, to listen to yourself? What does it mean to really pay it to, you know, to feel, to heal? What does it really mean to feel? What are we feeling? Why, why is that important? Because it's what makes us human. You know, is that's what makes us human is our emotions and our, the way we feel and how we express those feelings in a way that relates to other people that they connect back with us. So it's all like this big circle. In one word, what do you, or how do you say, what is love meaning? I love these questions. <laughs> great so good time that's one Ooh. one word love is time oh i love that what do, what do how would you say 
I mean, passion. And I don't mean like, oh, you know, the cover of a romance novel, although that's lovely. But I just mean like, again, really super strong feeling, strong, positive energy, not toxic positivity, like genuine, instinctive passion of what lights you up. Something love is love is what lights you up. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> okay, wait, it was supposed to be one word. Sorry. That's my Amy. Love is light. <laughs> How about that? Love is light. <laughs> in the same way, what is success? Do I have to do it in one word? <laughs> if you can, or like one sentence. I would say um for me, uh success is is experiencing peace. Okay. Mm -hmm. For me, success is what feels right. Okay. What is freedom? Also experiencing peace. Yeah. <laughs> and also cute. experiencing light. <laughs> freedom is light. Lightness, lightness of being. Okay. Fulfillment. Oh, I would say fulfillment is um is joy. It feels like joy. Okay. Nourishment. Okay. Nourishment for me. Yep. Gratitude. Even peace for me. I can't decide between love and peace. Oh, gratitude. I think gratitude is also joy. This can be in one sentence. What is forgiveness? A work Letting in Letting go. <laughs> <laughs> work in Why? What did you say, Abby? I said letting go. <laughs> okay. Lightness. <laughs> That's my answer for Real everything. honest. At least that's one thing you know about us is we're real honest. <laughs> you might have heard like many advisors when you are starting your journey into this coaching, starting a nonprofit, uh, so on and so forth. Both of you, what was the one best advice and the worst advice that you have got while you started this journey? Um, I would say the best advice that I received was get an accountant. Um very necessary. And I, I took that also to add to surround yourself with people who know more about things than you do. So that was really good. The worst advice I got, um, is stop paying for things yourself. And that's really hard when, um, when you're starting a nonprofit, because there's no budget, there's no fundraising, there's no grants, there's it's, if it needs to happen, you're going to figure out how to make it happen. And, um, in the first couple of years of the nonprofit, um, we're in year three. Um, I, I'm fortunate enough that I have an endless energy for working and doing additional things. So I've been able to find ways to provide some things to help get the nonprofit to a space where we could do more things. Um, and so it's probably great advice. It's just advice that I can't take yet. I'm not in a position to take their advice yet. <laughs> so. How about you? That's good. Um, well, one of the best pieces of wisdom or advice I got was um, progress, not perfect or progress, not perfection. Um, um, I have very high quality standards. And I think that um, Sometimes I wouldn't be ready to just let something out there in the in the marketplace where um, I didn't feel like it was 110%. Um, and I don't lower my standards, but I also realized that 
how I communicate things and that this is a work in progress, but still getting it out there uh, is, is important. And I would say uh, another piece of advice that I got and I use very much um, and I've always really appreciated was the connection of human design to how you position yourself, your business in the marketplace authentically. And if you don't know about human design, um, Juliet Stapleton is is a is just a wonderful visionary and businesswoman in this area, and she just made a profound influence on my life um, with understanding. Again, sounds you know woo woo foo foo, but I'm telling you that is good stuff. Understand your human design so you can be authentic in your business, and then um, some kind of you know, I wish I didn't take it so seriously was like anything that had to do with follow this step-by-step -step process to succeed. Here is the answer to your problems. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is the model you should follow. And um, you know, I think it's good to to try different hats on, you know, and see what fits, what what fits best. But there's not <laughs> it goes back to different things work for different people at different times. And it's really important to understand you and what's authentic to you and what works for you and what your strengths are and what your gifts are and what you can offer the world and come up with your own process. Um, you can take the best of other processes and put stuff together. We all learn from each other, um, but don't feel like you have to follow a, you don't have to subscribe to a specific process. I mean, there's probably so many people to be like, oh my gosh, what did she just say? But that's how I'm feeling in the moment, folks. <laughs> Everybody will have a regret is what I heard. I don't know if you guys have any regrets. If so, what is the one thing that you feel that you regret in your life? I would say that um, the losses that I mentioned, I wish I could uh, change some of that. I do think that if I would have, you know, if, if with Sarah or Tony, if I would have had those conversations before they died, their loss would have probably felt different. Um, if I would have, have honored my own boundaries and not gone to my family of origins home the day that my dad was passing, would I be holding that baby? Um, you know, there's things that I, I look back at, um, but I can see how um, something so terrible became something beautiful through those losses. I may not have been able to put together this book. And because of those losses and that deep experience, I'm still passionate about the work that Amy and I are doing. And we might've published the book, but the story keeps going. We keep, we keep finding opportunities to share about it and talk with people. And um, I, I couldn't even count how many people we've helped. And so as much as I wish I had that baby in my arms, as much as I wish I could have hugged Tony or Sarah one more time. Yep. Beautiful things come from terrible things. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, like regret to me, I, I've always, you know, I try to think of like a really super clear regret other than the fact that I was addressing an emotional situation very rationally. And I wish I had learned earlier that it was, I could do different things and not, it, it wasn't supposed to make sense. But, um, but I feel like even all the crap, you know, the bad stuff that's happened, it's just so important to who I am and who I've become. I, I don't really regret it. I guess what I regret is any suffering that I've ever um, caused another person unintentionally. 
Um, you know, we all we can't control how other people, you know, feel or react to us, but we can control how we present ourselves in a way that influences other other people. And we can um yeah, I just I just I, I just feel bad for anybody that, you know, that has suffered or even just my kids, like with words that I've shared said that I didn't mean to hurt them. And I don't realize until years later that something I said or did was very hurtful to them. You know, we all have those things in our past and just being like, oh my gosh, I had, thank you for saying that. Cause I never even knew it didn't even cross my mind that that was harmful to you like that. Those kinds of things get to me. I have one last question. What is the one thing that you have valued before and not value anymore? Privacy. <laughs> Going to the bathroom with the door closed. <laughs> oh boy I love yeah. that. <laughs> that's another tough one that I don't value anymore it's funny you know what I just did a values exercise and I did notice that my values have have changed um but they're it's they're there still I still value the the concept of the thing but it's um it's changed like before I used to Actually, I think it's right here. I used to value, if I had to choose between two values, the weight is has changed. So where I used to um, value balance more and be desperate for some kind of balance in my life, now I kind of have that. And so now what's more important to me is, is peace, just peace. There's a subtle difference, but there's a difference. You know, I, I think the last thing that I want to say is just what I re I said earlier is that, you know, grief is complicated. The book's over 200 pages long. Grief is complicated. Joy is simple. And um, hope is the bridge. Thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.